Welcome to Plodcast episode 105. Plodcast episode 105. So, as um, one of the developments as we're recording this that just came down was that Bernie Sanders, who's currently running for the um, Democratic nomination for president, uh, had a little uh, set to among his campaign workers. One of the things that Bernie Sanders has been calling for is a uh, $15 an hour minimum wage. Okay, $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, it transpires that his campaign, a bunch of people in his campaign were not earning $15 an hour. So he's, it's not the law, but he's campaigning on it. He, he's saying that it's a matter of justice. We ought to be paying $15 an hour as a matter of justice. Now, I'm going to come, I'm going to come back around to that in a moment to talk about it. But what happened was this. Some people noticed the discrepancy. He was, he was arguing for uh, a $15 an hour wage across the board across the United States. But he himself, in his campaign, was not paying $15 an hour to his campaign workers. And so uh, and, and some people made a stink, and they agitated for change. And so Bernie Sanders has now agreed to um, pay them $15 an hour. But then, because he is simply relying on the money of, of donors and doesn't have a printing press or doesn't have a Federal Reserve that could generate new money that would inflate the currency, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have control of that yet, and Lord willing, never will, uh, because he has to operate in a uh, universe with fixed boundaries. He's got a limited amount of money. What happened was... He raised everybody's wage to $15 an hour and then cut their hours. So his outlay is the same. He's, he's paying the same, money, the same amount of money out, getting less work, but at least he's not going in the hole. Now, this is because as a private operation, as a private campaign, he is constrained by economic realities. Now, Corporately, at, at, at the federal level, the Federal Reserve and the, and the lords of the earth that manage our economy, they too are creatures and they too are constrained by economic realities. It's just that they don't think they are. Um, so, and, and so consequently, they're willing to jump off a cliff in order to have that sensation of flying. So what, what's going to happen? Bernie Sanders raised the... Um, raise the rate, the, the, the wage rate to 15 an hour and then cut the number of hours that are worked. Same dollar amount, but less productivity. Okay. Same dollar amount goes out, but less is produced. In the economy, what would happen if, if you apply a $15 an hour uh, requirement on a city, as Seattle recently did, what happens is you find a number of restaurants or places that have uh, wages in that, in that zone, uh, cutting hours. They cut hours by cutting positions or cut people back to three-quarter time, or don't, they don't schedule them for as many hours. And so you have this, they have the same amount of money going out, but less productivity. That's just, you, you cannot, um, you can't go get a bucket and put it at the foot of the stairs then stand in the bucket 
and then carry yourself up the stairs. It just doesn't work like that. You can, uh, if, if, uh, if a $15 an hour wage work, you know, if we can, if we can give everybody a, as, as the jargon puts it, we should give everybody a livable wage. If we can give everybody a livable wage by raising it to $15 an hour, the first question, the obvious question ought to be, why are we being so chintzy? Why 15? Why don't we make it $100 an hour? Let's not, make, let's not give everybody a livable wage. Why don't we give everybody a stupendous wage? Now, the answer, of course, when someone, if you ask someone, why, why don't we um, uh, require everybody to pay $100 an hour, the answer is we don't have $100 an hour available. We don't have that money. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to $15 an hour, we don't have that money either. Bernie Sanders doesn't have that money. If he had vaults of money sitting in the back room uh, where he could raise the, raise the, the wages to 15 an hour and not cut their hours, I, I dare say he would have done it. But he has to watch the net effect. Right. So do restaurants. So does Amazon. So do any any large employer has to pay attention to that kind of thing. So just as you can't make people moderately more wealthy by fiat, it's just the same as not being able to make them rich by fiat. You just can't do it. If you uh, if the federal government made everybody's wage a thousand dollars a minute, they would have to crank up the printing press in order to uh, underwrite all this. And when they do, that would simply de devalue the money through inflation. And you would have everybody living at the same uh, standard of living they were living at before, only with the decimal point on their money in a different place. So what, basically what we're up against and what Bernie Sanders has just found out is that it doesn't matter how economically illiterate you are. The laws of mathematics remain the same, and the laws of mathematics don't care about how it feels. All right, continuing on with podcast episode 105, we come now to our hamartiology section. Uh, we've already considered one word for threatening, apaleo. Uh, we did that last week. We now come to another closely related one, apele, apele. As before, threatening is something the ungodly do. Ungodly people threaten. Uh, as uh, King Tyrion says to Eustace in The Last Battle, Peace, Eustace, do not scold like a kitchen girl. Courteous words or hard knocks are a warrior's only language. So, uh, Christians, the godly, are not to be breathing threats. In one place, the two words are used together, for straightly and for threatening. But, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no, to no man in this manner. That's Acts 4.17. And when they had done so, the disciples spoke of it just a few verses later, for of a truth against thy holy, holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, 
and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. That's Acts 4, 28 and 29. We can see the sinful frame of mind that Saul of Tarsus was in as he engaged in his attack on the fledgling Christian church, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. That's Acts 9, 1 and 2. And of course, later, this same man, now transformed, instructed, men, uh, instructed Christians, who were masters of slaves, to make sure that they did not attempt to govern them in this sinful way. He says in Ephesians 6, 9, And ye masters do the same things unto them, for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Um, God's people ought, that's Ephesians 6, 9, uh, God's people ought not to function with threats really at all. Uh, and a, a particular word to parents in this regard, you shouldn't threaten your children. You should, it's, it should either be, you know, an instruction or requirement, and then if they don't obey, consequences. But don't threaten consequences. Threatening consequences is trying to manage people with discipline on the cheap. It's not really uh, what we're after. Continuing on with Podcast 105, my book review section, I'd like to review a book that I read many years ago uh, by Thomas Sowell called Pink and Brown People. Uh, and I think the subtitle is, is Other Controversial Essays. Uh, uh, Thomas Sowell is, is really a treasure. And when it comes to economics and it comes to economic analysis of, relationship, of the relationship between uh, different ethnic groups and different races, um, he is dispassionate, logical, objective, um, careful, studious. I just recommend him highly, and he can say things. He can say things that uh, oftentimes conservative white economists can't say because he's a black man. In other words, um, if you if you say something, if you're white and conservative, and you say something that he says, you'll be you know, more than a few times. Uh, people have been um, accused of um, of racism. Well, nowadays, you can be accused of racism at the drop of a hat. A racist, as the saying goes, is anyone who's winning an argument with a liberal. And so, um, uh, what, but what Soul does is he he just says, "Well, let's look at the facts." One of the things, one of the striking things from this book of uh, of Pink and Brown People. Another great book is uh, that. Soul wrote was um, white liberals and black rednecks. Uh, that's a, also a collection of essays. This this one, pink and brown people. Here's an example of the kind of um, analysis he does. So when um, when uh, bl- black people in America are at an economic disadvantage, as many of them in fact are, the it, it's a very simple thing to blame. The, the blame the problem on racism. In other words, the system is rigged against them. Um, they have to go out into the marketplace and deal with bigots and and uh, you know microaggressions and macroaggressions and see that's what the problem is. But what um, Sol does is he uh, does a comparison, for example, between um, blacks in America who came from the West Indies and blacks in America who came from America. And the difference 
to a to the an average racist employer or ra- average racist potential employer, uh, he wouldn't be able to tell uh, whether someone was of uh, whether their ancestry came from the West Indies or not. Uh, well, what Soul does is he shows that um, blacks from the West Indies excel, and they excel in much the same way that immigrants, uh, you know, uh, high, hard-charging immigrants from other um, parts of the world have done, whether it's Chinese or Vietnamese or, you know, Koreans, who, um, who have a cultural expectation of excellence and intact families, and they push it, and they, are, they get there. Uh, he's, and Seoul, of course, doesn't argue that there's no such thing as racism. He's saying it's not the key factor, because if we, if we look at um, black, blacks from the Bahamas excelling in the United States and blacks from a different cultural background not excelling, it's, it's, a, it's a glib response. To, it's a glib analysis to say, well, it was the black skin that did it. Well, if that's the variable you, you, that you want to say is controlling the outcomes, well, let's uh, do an analysis that includes that variable. Why, why, why is this group over here excelling? And why are they so consistently, quote unquote, lucky? So pink and brown people, Thomas Sowell. I like that gentleman a lot. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.